the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Rob Black, weekday mornings from 10 to noon on Talk 910 KNEW. I am Glenn Beck, coming up at noon on Talk 910 KNEW. Now, Rob Black. Okay, I've been threatening a technology show for a few months now, and here it is. And yet I have no clue what I'm going to talk about. I just hit on Twitter. You can Twitter me, Rob Black Show. You can follow the the incredibly sexy life of me. I just Twittered or tweeted, starting a radio show on technology. Listen to iTunes. I have no clue what to talk about. Brian Cooley as a guest is great, though. So that's my tweet. And where do we go from here? Okay, I'm going to try. First and foremost, we live in the Bay Area. Most of us who are listening to the show right now live in the Bay Area. And this is a wonderful area to grow up in. It's a wonderful area to be a part of. It's a wonderful, uh, just a wonderful place to visit. Lordy Lord, if you're out of town, come to the Bay Area in, in September. But come, that's the best month to visit in my opinion, come knowing that we're rich in history. Now, I want to talk technology, but let's go back in time a little bit. History of technology, innovation of tools and techniques. Background knowledge that's ultimately enabled people to create new things, scientific endeavors, breakthroughs through technologies, you know, assisted humans. Breakthroughs in technology have assisted us in going to places we couldn't otherwise go. Uh, Breakthroughs in technology has helped us probe the nature of the universe and breakthroughs in technology allows, you know, other advances of society. But again, this is not so easy as to say A, B or C. Technological artifacts. They're basically a product of an economy. Whoa. Technology is a product of an economy. A force for economic growth. Large part of our everyday life. Just watching a show like Mad Men, you go back to the 1960s and you go, whoa, we've come a long way with technology. Now, how far did we actually come? You know, technology is all a part of our cultural tradition. Typically... You could say that technology evolves us socially. You could say savagery. You could say barbarianism. You could say civilization. You got milestones. Milestones are fun to look at. Fire. That would be a savage one, right? A bow. That would be tied towards barbarianism. Pottery. That would be tied towards civilization. These are That's technologies. Pottery is a technology. It allowed us to advance. You've got domestication of animals. You've got agriculture. You've got metalworking. You've got the alphabet. You've got writing. That all led to civilization. Now, let's go way back in time to when technology all started. Stone Age. It involved limited use of tools, permanent settlements. Limited use of tools created permanent settlements. Fire, stone, Weapons, 
clothing so that we can get through the, the rough winters. Virus so that we can sterilize meat that we're eating. You get the basic idea. Fire so we can kill things. Stone tools. Making the wheel. You know that horrible, horrible commercial that you see all the time about technology or innovations. Patent an idea and there's a caveman chipping away at a wheel. I don't know if that's a true story. But I assume that a caveman must have chipped away and made a wheel at some point in time. Because we've seen that image our whole life. Okay, so we go from the Stone Age. Let's forget everything in the middle and jump to the 20th century. And to me, technology is about computers. I don't know. I think when you say technology, it comes, something comes to your mind, right? Now it could be military research. It can be computers. It could be the radio. It could be the radar, early sound recording, key technologies, the radio and the radar that ultimately led to the telephone, that then led to the fax, that led to magnetic storage of data. So most of our computer technology came out of radio and radar technology. Um, the abacus, the first math computer. But did you know that the abacus and and maths and computers were a big part of the Manhattan Project, which led to maybe the, the destruction of the world, nuclear power? You got rocketry in there as well. United States versus Russia in the, the 60s on who can get to the moon first. Um, NASA invented something, a digital clock. Why is that important? Well, you know, the whole gravity thing was ruining wrist watches up in space. So they came up with a digital clock. So we spent millions, 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 millions of dollars trying to get to the moon. And the NASA creates a digital clock. Why is that important? Computers. Digital versus analog. Huge jump. Now, the top 20 technologies of the 20th century, as voted by nerds, also known as the National Academy of Engineering, also known as National Academy of Nerds, Like number 20, material science, nuclear technology, the laser, petroleum, and petroleum technologies. Again, oil is a technology. Refining oil into, what does oil get ultimately refined into? Plastics? Paint? That's a huge technology. Healthcare technologies, that's a big one on the list of the top 20. Household appliances. Again, the, the National Academy of Engineering is called household appliances a technology. Probably don't think of it that way, do we? Um, The Internet's number 13 on the list. Spacecraft, number 12. Highways, number 11. Highways are a technology, you betcha. New way of sharing communication. New way of doing commerce. Air conditioning, number 10. Uh, Holy mackerel. If you've ever been to the East Coast, you understand the, the needs for air conditioning. If you've ever been to the Southwest, you understand the needs for air conditioning. And how our society wouldn't put up with it otherwise. Telephones. Number nine, eight is number computer. Eight computers is number eight technology. 20th century technologies, eight computers. I thought it would have been higher. Mechanized agriculture, where we basically started putting robots in the fields to make our corn faster and do the jobs of multiple humans. Radio and television comes in at number six. Number five, electronics. Number four, water supply and distribution. Not a technology that you typically think of. Number three, the airplane. Number two, the automobile. Number one, technology advance. Number one technology, most important technology of the 20th century. What do you think it is? Again, let's do the top five. Five was electronics, four water supply, three airplane, two automobile. Number one, electrification. Where would we be without it? Now, where do we go in technology? Tough question. You know, the Mars Exploration Rover is out there in the, tech, in the conversation. Biotechnology is out there. 
more broadband internet access in the 21st century, quantum computers, nanotechnology, bioengineering, nuclear fusion. A lot of these technologies, when they were first happening, computers, do you know how much money you could have made if you invested in IBM? You know how much money you could have invested it made if you invested in the telephone when it was technology? When I was a little boy, not that long ago, on Sundays, we had to wait till Sunday to call grandma. You know how much money you would have made if you invested in the technology of the internet when it was starting to happen? Or the airplane? Or the automobile? Or electricity? Or household appliances? Technology created these huge booms of money. So what's the next set of technologies? Quantum computers, nanotech, bioengineering, nuclear fusion, advanced materials like enhanced armor, scramjet, railguns, superconductivity, alternative fuels, solar cells, LEDs, more efficient LEDs. You get the basic idea. Let's take a bit of a break here. Coming up, we're going to be talking more technology. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. One eight hundred three four five KNEW. Some pretty important technology company, a company called Cisco. We all know the history of Hewlett Packard, two buddies who started a company in a garage. Okay, we get it. Cisco's a little bit more vague as far as their their history goes. Um, often told story of Cisco's launch, heavy drama, but not a lot of people actually know the story. Um, founding legends are in specialty of Silicon Valley. None's more appealing in my mind than the start of Cisco systems. Ultimately young Stanford university couple, they invented a router, start Cisco in their living room, uses credit cards for financing. Great story, right? Now, for years, we've heard that. The story of Leonard Bosak and Sadie Lerner uh, mirrors the Silicon Valley dream, come up with a breakthrough, found the company, become a millionaire. Now you become a billionaire when you come up with these ideas, like the boys over at, at Google. Now, Cisco, their story is a little incomplete. You know, it, it started on campus, and, and Stanford had an opportunity to buy the company, and ultimately they didn't in what could have been one of the biggest financial mistakes of the university. And um, founded in 1984, it goes back. They wanted to get two computers that would work 500 yards across from each other because husband and wife were trying to communicate with each other while at work. All the research started formally at Xerox in Palo Alto. Um, Basically, Stanford, though, blew it in my mind. Um, They tried to sell the networking technology that they, they came up with. No one wanted to buy it. Cisco was willing to give away the networking technology. They came up with a name because of the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, they were driving across the Golden Gate Bridge, shortening form from San Francisco. So they came up with Cisco. Um, I guess I never really thought about that. Ultimately, the university took $150,000 in free routers and support services for a multiple billion dollar company. Joining me right now, Bay Area native. Brian Cooley from CNET CBS. Is that the right way of introducing you now, Brian? That's right, Rob. How are you? I'm doing well. Now, Cisco, great Bay Area story. It, it 
it's stuff legends are made of. But we have tons of them here in the Bay Area. We do. I mean, Cisco is similar to Sun, is similar to Google, is similar to Yahoo. These are companies that often have several things in common. First of all, they're taking advantage of the the university environment, particularly the Stanford environment, to be honest. Uh, these companies all kind of draw back to Stanford. They are, they are uh, you know, Silicon Valley, Palo Alto area companies in many ways. Um, and this also ties into the fact that you've got a very strong number of smart people who are founding companies while they're still in school as part of their uh, part of their studies, as part of a uh, either a, an advanced or a doctoral project or a thesis. But in many cases, they're just starting companies because they've got a great idea. It's not necessarily part of what their education is. Because there is such a open culture in Silicon Valley about not just learning, but doing. So that's why you see so many of these people who come out of Stanford and other schools around the Bay Area and, of course, around the country who uh, go off to become very well-known, very wealthy, very influential technologists and didn't finish their degree or didn't finish the final degree they were working on. Maybe they had a master's or working on a doctorate, and they got so into this great idea, they just left and never went back and finished what they were working on because they stumbled upon the real doing as opposed to just the learning. And that's, in many ways, a lot of people think that is one of the unique things about Silicon Valley, is that it's a permission-to-do environment more than perhaps any other part of the country. Because you find great schools and financing and established companies in many pockets of the country. But there's this permission to do in Silicon Valley, which we also call, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit, that is, I think, kind of unique. Now, with that said, the last big company that I can put my pulse on to come out of the Bay Area is Google. Yeah. And that's feeling 10 years old at this point in time. Yeah, it's the last giant. Um, Some would say that because the way the, if you're just looking at the internet, the way the internet is changing, there are so many, uh, there are so many pieces now that are collaborative as opposed to companies that come out and do a thing. Uh, There are more collaborated services on the web that are the next big thing. And as a result, no one company owns the direction like Google. I mean, search is by definition uh, a killer, a huge overarching umbrella technology. If you capture that, you've kind of uh, blotted out the sun for a lot of other competitors. But think what's going on with other sorts of services. There are so, so many what they call Web 2 services out there, websites you go to and sign up at that feel like software. They feel like a program. Uh, Obviously, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Twitter is what instant messaging used to be. Instant messaging is a program you install to let people know or to communicate with people one-to-one. Twitter, of course, is one-to-many, but it's not a program you install. There are programs you can use to do it more efficiently, but that's not the idea. The idea is it's a web service where you go out and communicate in these little bursts somewhat analogous to what instant messaging used to be. Look at Facebook. Look at Google Maps. Look at all the different things like Urban Spoon and whatever web services you use as a listener out there. Those are all getting connected and collaborated right now. We're kind of in this explosion of new, smaller ideas that I think will condense into a few major players in the future. So, Brian, I oftentimes blame you for bringing me to the state of California. It's all my fault. It's all your fault. Yeah. And again, I want to say thank you for that. It's, it's <laughs> really welcome. been a turn good, for the best. It's good to have you here. It's good because I grew up playing the Atari 2600 and I always wanted to come to Silicon Valley. Uh, do you think Silicon Valley is getting tired? Do you think or am are we going to reinvent yet again? We were a defense industry, and then we became a tech industry. Are we getting tired here? Because it's been, like I said, 10 years. Facebook's cute, but that started on the East Coast before it moved to the West Coast. Are we tired? Or will we continue to develop new? I've actually uh, never seen quite so much innovation that is coming together because the pieces are all there. Look at the 
Look at the mobile revolution going on right now, which is really just getting started. There are so many folks, the vast majority, who have yet to get their first iPhone or smartphone or uh, device like that. That's going to break open a whole new set of behaviors in this in this society in the next, I don't know, five or six years, I'd have to guess. Uh, and then look at what's going on, like I said, with all these sort of Web2 services, which have yet to congeal into, you know, the 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 fewer influential numbers that will matter and, again, hit total critical mass. Uh, and we're also seeing the edge of the automotive in-car Internet revolution. We have just starting to see cars that are connected to the Internet through either their navigation system or through a broadband wireless, a Wi-Fi hotspot in the car, if you will. That's an oncoming revolution as well that's just getting started. And Silicon Valley is never going to fade from that. You know, if you want to say that perhaps we're not the only place where the big ideas are coming out of right now, that's certainly fair. But there are so many influential companies there that luckily know that they have to stay uh, f- they have to stay fleet of foot. On the other hand, you can look at Sun and say, well, there's one that didn't. We lost a major leader there in terms of any kind of you know reasonable importance in the industry. Um, you know what's so exciting coming out of Intel these days? They still make chips, but the chips that they're building these days are for interesting new technologies like mobile wireless devices, not just to power computers. So all these companies that are out there that are old and kind of kind of long in the tooth. They tend to be pretty good innovators, though, because they've gone through a few revolutions. Now, you're opening so many cans of worms, it's killing me, because I want to ask about the cars. But before I could ask about technologies and cars, we got to go back to the uh, Apple. we got to go back to the cell phone. Yeah. Um, today, I did a story on next year at this time, AT&T is going to lose their exclusivity. Next year at this time, Brian, we're going to talk about 40%, 50% penetration for the iPhone, because every American will be able to get it. And we want it. We just don't want that exclusivity with AT&T. So yeah. we haven't even seen the blow up of iPhones. Yeah. It's going to get more annoying. Yeah, the iPhone and future BlackBerry models, because iPhone and BlackBerry own the market right now. Those are That's your smartphone market. All the rest of them are follow-ons. All your Nokias, all your HTC and Google Android phones, your Palm Pre, those are all just sort of scraps. It's an iPhone, BlackBerry world for the most part. And those two companies have a lot of ground to still cover because they're very competitive. And, of course, Apple, unless something goes seriously awry, uh, remains the most important company in consumer electronics well into that year and several years down the road. Now, of course, Steve Jobs' tenure there is the big question mark. Now, with that said, though, Brian, I remember at one point in time when I was doing Stock Talk on CNET Radio, I didn't like Apple because they had a closed environment. They didn't open up the Macs to let everyone program for them. The company almost died out, and then it was the resurgence of the iPod and and. The, the application store, opening up applications to everyone can build them, that's really been the genius of Apple this time around. They're acting like Microsoft. And it doesn't hurt that you can run Windows on a Mac and have been ever since they started putting Intel chips in them uh, a few years ago. Right. Uh, that is a, these are all creeping degrees of openness. And, of course, the fact that the iPhone runs on AT&T, which is not an Apple company or service, is another degree of openness. And so, yes, little by little, Apple has been... I wouldn't say opening up as much as uh, partnering up or, you know, in some cases opening up its platform to a degree. But it is still kind of unusual in that it is a, it is a closed camp that seems to have no lack of headroom for growth. Whereas I look at the wireless companies and I look at how they are running a closed camp. Only their sponsored phones work on their network at least fully well. Uh, certainly if it's GSM and then CDMA phones are another issue entirely. And, of course, the, the, uh, the, the way that you buy a phone is tied to a carrier. That is such an old, tired model. It makes absolutely no sense right now. But... They're still hanging on to it because they can, and they're afraid of crossing the crossing that river to a new revenue model where they don't tie you and tether you to phones and contracts. 
that's going to die out eventually. So some industries that have a closed model are looking much more, I think, fragile to me, like the wireless industry. Others, like Apple, you know, Apple's Apple. Apple doesn't conform to all the rules because they tend to be an outlier in terms of a lot of ways that they do business. Now, let's jump back to the cars because you brought that up. Cars don't feel like they have that much technology to me on the outside, but, you know, high-definition radio, I feel that is a technology. Satellite radio, I already feel like satellite radio is a lot like the satellite phone. If you remember the Iridium phone disaster, satellite radio, to me, it feels no. like it's got disaster coming. No, satellite radios, it's it's calm and almost gone at this point. It, it is what it is. You know, their predictions, I think, for now were that they'd have 50 million subscribers and growing. Well, they're at, what, 22 between the two companies, and I don't think there's a lot of growth left. Satellite radio is too old. It's too stale. It's too fixed. It's too narrow. It's 100 and something channels. That just doesn't seem like much in this day and age. I may not find what I want. In fact, when I listen to satellite radio, I don't find anything that excites me. I have a bunch of web stations I listen to that I think are really great, very compelling. But that's out of a universe of tens or hundreds of thousands of choices that I was able to find the ones I love. Satellite radio is too constricted in this day and age. So what's going to be uh, the, the major technologies are in-car internet, which allows a lot of things to happen. allows live information to come to the car and live entertainment. Um, several of the car makers out there, like Mercedes is, well, comes to mind, are showing demonstration technologies where everything in the car is powered by the internet. So the radio is streaming radio. The phone, you don't need a cell phone. The car will do voice over IP, a flavor of Skype, if cool. you will, over its connection. Uh, navigation, there's no map in the car. There's no DVD. There's no database in the car. It's all done over the network, just like when you use a smartphone to do navigation. There's no map in the phone. It couldn't hold it. It's too, it's, it's, it's too constricted. All this stuff is Internet-based. Again, getting back to these Web 2.0 services, that really makes sense in the car because you can do and enable anything in the car as soon as it has an Internet connection. And you don't have to buy a $2,000 navigation rig when you negotiate for your car. You can decide later, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to use the nav today for a service charge of a dollar. And I may not use it again for six months, but when I use it, it's really great because it's reaching out to the internet and getting, let's say, Google Maps and displaying it on the LCD in the car, but I didn't have to buy an expensive piece of hardware that was built in, which is a very nice way to make everything friction-free. You can use what you want, when you want, where you want it, as opposed to today, the car comes from the factory with all this stuff bolted in. Six-disc CD changer, and that's what you're always going to have unless you rip it out and go buy a new radio. Uh, uh, Sirius satellite radio. What if I want XM? Now, they're the same thing now, but HD radio. My car didn't come with it, but I want to listen to something like a stream. That's all doable when you have a flexible Internet connection, and it's a much better way to put tech into cars. How long, and I'm I'm pinning you down, this is rude of me, how long until I can access my music at home while I'm driving in the car and thus, I could blow up that six CD changer. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Reasonably, uh, give it five years. Five years. Give it five years before you're going to see a reasonable number of cars uh, that have this. Part of it is the automakers have a relatively slow product cycle, as you know. Uh, when it's quick, it's three years from concept to market. Right. Um, and we're looking at also a lot of hesitation on the car makers right now. They have bigger fish to fry than to pursue the latest technologies. But I'd say in five years, it will not be uncommon to find a fairly good number of cars in showrooms that have internet connections, and most importantly, that have the software that will let you reach out to your home media. That's something that Microsoft might develop or some other companies like Hughes Telematics, where they're going to say, you know what, we'll be that middle software between the actual Wi-Fi, Internet, 3G radio in the car that connects to the Internet, which consumers don't care about and don't even want to know what that is, and media either on the Internet or back at your home accessed via the Internet. So you could have one little server at your house, one little external drive that has your media on it. You leave it turned on. And you can reach out to it wherever you are, anywhere in your car, anywhere in the United States or arguably the world, 
and reach that media. Brian, I can keep you for one more segment. Absolutely. Thanks very much. When we come back, we're going to talk about netbooks. We're going to talk about television, hard drives, maybe a little YouTube, some Twitter, some convergence. I got some more content as well as what's the next big thing. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. He's Brian Cooley. You can find him at CNET.com, CNET.com. KNEW, helping you make sense of the complicated world of money and finance. This is Rob Black. I study nuclear science. I love my classes. I got a crazy teacher. He wears dark glasses. Things are going great. And they're only getting better. I'm doing all right. Getting good grades. The future's so bright. We're speaking with Brian Cooley today. Brian, the only thing I hated about you at CNET <laughs> was you wouldn't let me play my freaking fracking music. Nope, never would. So it was something that I couldn't get through on you. <laughs> now you're just going to make it happen every time we're together. I know. I'm at the point, Brian, where I know this is my last radio job. At some point, that's going to come true. <laughs> okay. So I'm just, I push through with my own music. And uh, program director here at Clear Channel, he's kind enough to put up with it. Beautiful. With that said, what was it about CNET Radio that you and I did? Because every day I get an email from someone who used to listen to CNET Radio. Every day I get somebody saying, that was fantastic when you did this. What what magic did you create? You were kind of the program director well, at CNET. Yeah, when the magic there wasn't anything I created. It was the fact that we were doing it at an interactive media company, which uh, is the kind of company that will look at focusing and super serving, as we say, a market. I and mean, that means to do something that is uh, focused. You know, most uh, most broadcast media, the first word in broadcast is broad. Uh, we were doing a very narrow focused format that spoke to people who had a real passion for technology and the money and business around it, which traditionally is not thought of as being a sustainable model in broadcast. And it wasn't. It didn't do well financially because it was very narrow and only spoke to a certain number of advertisers. And it also came at a very tough time in the technology economy. But that said... Now look what happens today. Look at the explosion of podcasts, webcasts, YouTube video, um, all the different ways you can pick exactly what you want to watch on the web that you normally had to sit through television to get to, uh, major network shows. It's the hyper-choice era, and we were kind of an early blending of broadcast and extremely focused choice or, um, or, or interest level. And this is what the media future is all about, is finding exactly what you want and being able to exclude most of what you don't. Which, of course, journalism pundits, they rue the day because it's like, well, nobody's ever going to want to watch a story about the ongoing, you know, 55-year peace process in the Middle East. They'll skip it. Whereas in a broadcast, you used to kind of sit through it because you wanted to get to that story they keep teasing about the kittens. But in the new interactive era, you go to exactly what you want. You consume specifically what you really want, and you skip all the rest. It's much more of an a la carte world, and it's also dealing with people's passions. It lets them zero in on them. And that's kind of what we were doing with the radio format. We were able to go to a really focused, passion-based sort of an interest area that was uniquely uh, pointed and sharp. It's interesting that you put it that way because we know that Apple's got that application that you put in five songs that you like and you start, you know, streaming songs that you, you know, are relatively similar. Yeah. Um, maybe news will get to the point. I, I like kitten stories, but I hate child molestation, molestation stories. So maybe my news will start streaming into things that I kind of like. Let's change topic here. Um, when you and I were doing CNET radio 10 years ago, 
Um, the big story, not even 10 years ago, seven years ago, the big story was the $2,500 computer becoming the $2,000 computer, becoming the $1,500 computer, becoming the $1,000 yeah. <laughs> right. computer. Remember how expensive they used to be? <laughs> yeah. And now I just bought a $250 netbook, and I'm actually using less technology in a netbook, but I'm happy with that. Well, the technology has been pushed out to the network as part of it. You, did, you bought a machine that didn't have a whole lot in it. It wasn't very interesting. You didn't even care what fast, how, what speed processor it had, and you don't, probably don't even know. And it doesn't matter. Used to be we were all obsessed with the speed of our computer. Oh, I just got a 2.66 gigahertz. Oh, I just got a 3.0. I bumped up for my 1.6. And we all knew these speeds. Even Intel knew that had no legs to it. They eventually stopped even advertising the speed of their chips. No one even knows anymore. You get a Pentium, uh, you know, Core 2 Duo, and that's kind of what you know. You don't know what the speed is as much as you used to. And this is part of the idea of the hardware now has gotten overachieverish, and you don't need to really get too concerned about what computer you have. It's about the uh, size, the shape, and the cost of it, because all the really valuable stuff is out there on the network now. It's not in the box. And that's helped the machines, that's not the only reason, but it's helped the machines come down in price, is they're not in quite such a nuclear arms race of constant hardware innovation now. Computers don't get that much faster that often anymore. It's more now a matter of driving the prices down and making the devices smaller and more portable. So desktop computers, if you spend more than $500, you need to have a really good reason these days. Uh, Netbooks, they came out of nowhere, the $300 computer you're talking about. And notebooks, laptops, full-size portable computers, easily had for $800 or less. A really good one. So this is a different era where no longer do you have to go really worry about the hardware. You need to worry about what you're going to use it for. And it's all about the services now and not about the hardware. That's it. It's about the services out there on the cloud, as we say, or out there on the Internet. It's the same phrase. And that's what makes the device so rich and interesting these days, which is nice. It's liberating for consumers to not have to say, gee, I better go buy a new computer every year or so so I can take advantage of the latest whatever. Uh, that isn't even an issue anymore. The computer you buy today will for several years at least, if not five or six years, be great at accessing whatever's on the web because all the horsepower and all the processing and a lot of the hard work is being done out there on servers on the Internet and not in here inside your computer. I want technology in my car, which we've talked about. And yeah. you, you really enlightened me there. That was nice. Also, I want technology in my television um, because those are the two areas that I spend the most amount of my time at. Yes, yes, exactly. And here's the big trend going on in TVs, and we're just starting to see it hit the market right now this this summer, uh, and it'll be much bigger in the fall and holiday season, is Internet connections on the backs of televisions, DVD players, and home entertainment receivers. And th- what this allows is for your TV to literally connect to your home Internet connection no computer involved, that's the key here, and to therefore reach out to any number of web based video options, whether it's network television, whether it's Netflix delivering movies over the internet to your television directly, or through this little box that that Roku makes. It's the idea of taking the web and turning it into a full screen video delivery source, just like your cable provider. It's not about watching web pages or going to web pages. It's not about doing email on your TV. Some folks will do that. Some folks always will. That's not a big idea. The big idea is using the web or the internet specifically as a new pipeline to deliver full screen video competing directly with cable companies, satellite companies, and broadcast signals. And this is going to be a major trend in the next few years. What are we leaving out 
What's the next big thing? What's the thing that we have to pay attention for? What's going to, you know, shock and awe, so to speak? What's- well, you know, down the road a ways, there's a lot of talk about quantum computing. You mentioned that earlier in the show, which, you know, that can be a very dense topic, but it's basically uh, extremely high-performance computing to a to a magnitude we don't even have right now, both on servers out there that we connect to as well as on our desktop computers. Uh, there's also a lot of talk, of course, about some fundamental science. You know, nano technologies make a lot of things change. It makes a lot of difference in terms of displays, in terms of the silicon inside of a chip that runs a computer or a smartphone or an in-car device. But to bring it back, because I'm not really a futurist, I would look out a year or two and I would say it's a portable mobile explosion that is the trend in technology going forward, certainly for consumers and in many vertical uh, commercial applications as well. We have just begun to till the soil of the wireless, mobile, uh, smartly connected, high-power uh, wireless world where everything we have is a smart device and we can reach every service that we like to use from every device we touch. So if I'm in front of my TV in the living room, if I'm in front of my car or if I'm in my car in front of the screen on the dashboard, if I have my iPhone or smartphone in my hand, or believe it or not, if I'm sitting in front of my old traditional desktop computer, I have the same access to everything that I ever do out there in the digital world and with very satisfying performance. Right now, you can kind of do everything everywhere except for the car, but it's really uneven and very full of friction and very kind of awkward. That will change, and so it'll be everything everywhere. That's a very, very different world than we have today where you decide what to do based on where you're sitting, which makes no sense. But we didn't have the technology to do it any other way until now and the next couple years. Speaking with Brian Cooley from CNET, also from CBS, you should go to CNET.com. Brian, when I went to buy my netbook, I went to the editor's reviews, and I found the highest-rated net book there is, and that's the one Excellent. I ultimately got. hope it was easy to find, too. That's always an important goal of ours. So when I read tech, I go to CNET. Um, what do you read? What do you see? What what consumes you when you're not at CNET? What's your, you know, your I sources? Use, I, use a lot of, uh, I use a lot of Google searches, saved searches. Because I like to uh, I like to focus on certain areas, and so I have a lot of saved Google News alerts. And so whenever news breaks with certain keywords around it, I get those in my inbox. It's been one of my favorite tools for a long time. And I'm always adding and dropping those because my interest and my hot buttons will change and other things will become stale. I don't care about them anymore as much. Um, so I'm always doing that. And I get lots and lots of you know traditional email newsletters from specialty uh, news organizations out there that you've never even heard of. People who cover just the GPS chip business. People who just cover the automaker assembly industry. People who just cover the nanotechnology space for, biolo- for, for biological stuff. Um, so I've got lots of those things coming in because that's where the cutting edge is. Uh, but I also, uh, you know, I pay attention to what people are talking about on the social networks. You know, one of the first places you'll find out what's hot is on Twitter and Facebook, especially Twitter, if you follow enough people that are technically minded or whatever minded, financially minded, uh, politically minded is to have a few people like that that you follow, and you tend to be caught up in the stream of what really uh, is hot at that time. You also, though, have to be aware of being caught up in an echo chamber because sometimes a few influential people in social networks can turn something, can turn a molehill into a mountain. I know that all too well with my blog here at 910 KDW. Right, yeah. So yeah. with that said, Brian, um, you're an, you're the editor-at-large. You're Brian Cooley, CNET.com. You're a gentleman, Bay Area treasure, in my opinion. <laughs> I'd you. pay to listen to you talk. <laughs> Well, good, because I'm going to send you a bill. <laughs> that's that's perfect. Thanks you very much. Was, you know, this was free, didn't you? Oops. <laughs> send it to Clear Channel. All right, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, for, Brian. Top notch. I'm left speechless listening to him talk. It's the Rob Black Show. We're talking tech today. I'm Rob Black. Thank you.
I'm Rob Black, another Bay Area tech company that I like to study because I'm a studying type of guy. Intel, headquartered in Santa Clara. What's interesting to note was that they really didn't start as a CPU type of company. They shifted into CPUs at, of all people's, IBM's insistence on it. Um, The name Intel came from Intelco. They basically had to buy off a company so that they can take it. It was a hotel company that was called Intelco. Odd. You would never have thought about it. Uh, $10,000 started the company. Another $2.5 million in debt financed the company. But what's important to note about Intel as a tech company is they got wildly successful in the 80s and 90s, not necessarily by innovating, but by sending their competitors to court where their competitors couldn't keep up with them on legal bills. It's interesting to note. Let's change gears. Bill Rockefeller. When, uh, he's from, uh, where are you from, Bill? With Geeks on Call. Geeks on call. Okay, so you're you're basically a nerd, yes, who comes to people's homes and businesses and helps them with technology because technology it, it it doesn't always operate like it should. Nope, we find people have a lot of problems with computers. Uh, pretty much nobody's computer works perfectly, and there's uh you know a lot of things we can help around with. Now, with all this money spent on technology, why don't computers work perfectly? It's tough to say uh, because pr- computers are programmed by humans, and humans aren't perfect. Okay, that's that's fair enough. And also, user error, in my case. There's a lot of user error. There's a lot of learning curve. Nobody can know every industry. I mean, somebody's good on radio isn't necessarily going to be good on computers. A doctor and a lawyer may be very intelligent, but they also may not be very good with computers. I'm a rare cut because not only am I good on radio, I'm also good on television. <laughs> and you're pretty good with computers, too, from what I've seen. Toot! So, yeah, I did build my own computer. That's how I actually met you. Yep. So um, that actually calms me to build computers. It's an odd statement, but it calms me down to, you know, get 18 parts and put together a hard drive and wire it in and and throw in a video card. And it's calming. It's probably kind of like dad uh, being a mechanic, working on the old Hemi Cuda or something like that. Well said. Well said. Now, at Geeks on Call, one of the things you do is you... I think you you save people. Um, I remember in the 1990s, I came on, on air one day, and I boldly said, who gets viruses? Who in the world clicks on that? Th-? And the next day, I got a virus and lost all my information. I lost my, my pretty expensive porn collection. I lost um, photos of girlfriends. I lost photos of me growing up. You know, I, I lost not, a lot yeah. uh, due to a virus. And I was just cocky and arrogant, and ultimately, a virus took me down. Yeah, virus and protection is extremely important, but even more important is backing your you know, your important files and data up. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about virus protection. What, where would you recommend us using virus protection? Everywhere. Okay. Every everywhere. computer you have. Um, Macintoshes aren't quite as susceptible. Um, they don't get attacked as often, but it's still important to have virus protection on an, a, any PC, really. Now, I have found that virus protection eats up my valuable RAM, and it makes me angry. Um, I've stopped using Norton because of it. 
Um, it just to me, Norton seems to ho- be a resource hog. So I switched my to to a different company. Uh, what typically do you have a good name, a good recommendation for virus protection? There's lots of good ones out there. We use a product called Nod32. There's also Kaspersky, Trend Micro, a lot of good ones besides the big boys, uh, Norton and McAfee, that don't use up the system resources. I do like Trend Micro. Yeah. So, and they've actually got some pretty nice PR people who uh, will come out and tell us about all the hot viruses out there as well. So, um, so that's one that you'd use. Yes. That's okay. one that we have uh, used on customer systems in the past. So we're t- speaking with Bill Rockefeller, Geeks on Call. Let's talk about the economy. Um, I'm stretching my dollars. I, I, I haven't lost my job. I don't feel poor, but I'm stretching my dollars. And one of the things that you and I talked about recently was how can I upgrade my system without spinning an arm? And how, how can I upgrade my system without buying a new computer? Exactly. That's one thing we can tell you up front is we can look at how old your computer is and whether it's better to upgrade the memory, upgrade the video card, the hard drive, depending on what your needs are, or whether it's just better to go with a new computer entirely. Now, the upgrades can be pretty cheap. You can get RAM dirt cheap from where it was five, ten years ago, and that's pretty easy to to do a, a repair. You can YouTube uh, upgrading RAM, and people show you how they do it ultimately. Um, hard drives are pretty easy to, to swap in and out. Um, those are two of the easiest upgrades you could do to a computer. The CPU, a little bit tougher. The motherboard, definitely a chore. Yes. Some of the things, I mean, RAM is fairly easy, but some of the things you want to leave to the experts. Okay. And that's something your company does. You, you roll a van and you actually have, you roll a car and you actually have tons of product in the car. So you can actually do it pretty cheaply. Um, and I recommend upgrading computers on a pretty regular basis because they're electronics and they do get old and they do, um, start to fry a little bit here and there from power surges and things like that. Now, one of the things you recommend is backup. Um, backing up your data. Had I backed up my data, my porn, my, my videos, my, my pictures from my youth, I would still have them today. Um, and I was just too lazy to do it. Tell me a little bit about, because Microsoft has a backup thing where you, you burn CDs. And I don't think anyone wants to use Microsoft's automated backup service because we think we're going to be burning 27 CDs of content. Correct. There's a lot of uh, very inexpensive and reliable ways to back up your data these days. One of the easiest things you can do is just purchase an external drive from a local store, plug it in, and it usually has backup software on it. There's also lots of online backup solutions where your data is actually backed up remotely off-site to a cluster of servers that are redundant and secure. Now, there's two. I I know of Carbonite. They advertise the snot out on the radio. Um, and there's another one, Mosey. Mosey.com, Carbonite. There's Backup.com. There's a lot of different options out there. What can we expect to pay for that? Oh, around $5 a month. Now, as a nerd and as a business person, are you freaked out about backing up your data? Because it's it's held off-site. Oh, no. I don't have any, any reservations with backing up off-site at all. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, let's talk about um, the economy. How is the economy helping your business or hurting your business geeks on call? It, right now, for us, it's fantastic because people want to repair their computers instead of buying new ones. When the economy is good, they want to buy new computers instead of repairing, and that's great for us, too, because we carry brand-new computers with Windows XP. What's the typical – now, we know Best Buy has what's, – what's Best Buy's service called? Geek Squad. Geek Squad. Now, what's the difference between your company, Geeks on Call, and Geek Squad? We only do one thing. We fix computers. Okay. Um, we promise not to sell you a washer, dryer, microwave, anything like that. And all of our technicians are very experienced, usually 10 years or more experience, and they're certified. These are people you can trust going into your home and your business that uh, will fix your computer properly, keep your data safe, and they know what they're doing. Now, data to me is money. <laughs> I know exactly. it's, it's, it sounds like it, but 
having a down computer for a day or two and losing information, it's tough to rebuild all that. We're out of time. Let me give you your phone number out. It's 800-905-GEEK. It's 800-905-GEEK. Is there a website as well? Yes, geeksoncall.com. Geeksoncall.com. It's Bill Rockefeller. I'm Rob Black. It's been The Tech Show. Thanks for being patient with me, listeners. I'm Rob Black. Rob Black, weekday mornings from 10 to noon on Talk 910 KNEW. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.